Every year, Google puts out a year in search video. And the video basically highlights what things were searched for the most during Google that year. Um, and we see all the current event type things that went on in our, in our world. And no matter where you fall on, on the politics or whatever else that goes on. Woo, strobe, like it. Uh, no matter where you fall on that stuff, it's an interesting reminder of the things that are changing for us and, and the things that people are searching for. And, and it's interesting because we see a world searching. They are searching for meaning. They are searching for answers. They're, if you saw the search terms that were in the bar there are some of the things that were searched for this year. How to heal. How to take care of your mental health. How to get the lights to work in the sanctuary. How to... Sorry, I'm just, I don't care, actually, if the lights don't work. How to stay strong. How to be resilient. How to make a comeback. And in, buried in there was this line that said, what is my purpose? And people are searching for that. Our theme for 2022 as a church is going to be made for this. That's the theme. We are made for this. You were made for this. We as a church were made for this. The question of made for this is, what is this? What is the this that you were made for? What is, what is your this? What is my this? What is our this? I've heard it said that there are only two people you should aim to make proud in your life. And they are the eight-year-old version of yourself and the 80-year-old version of yourself. Anybody ever heard this? Those are the only two people that you need to make proud of in your life. And I thought that was kind of interesting. If we all live for our inner eight-year-old, then we would have a whole lot of firefighters, ballerinas, and astronauts. Am I right? That's what everybody wants to be. And so we would, we would go after it. And I think the point of living to make your eight-year-old self proud is don't give up on your dreams. Whatever that dream that you had when you were eight years old, don't give up on that dream. Um, but 80-year-old me that I'm also trying to make proud already knows 53-year-old me. It's my birthday today. I'm 53 years old. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's not the way the lady at the... I went to go get movies this week, and I went to ask for seven tickets, and I said, I need seven tickets to Spider-Man. And she said, are there any seniors or students in your party? And I said, no. And she said, are you sure? I said, just take my money. Leave me alone. Um, but 80-year-old me knows 53-year-old me. Does that make sense? He's already seen everything that I've been through. He knows some of the things that I'm doing. And 80-year-old me knows that 53-year-old me is still not a fighter pilot, which I you know, thought 8-year-old me was down with, if you know what I'm saying. Here's the interesting thing about 8-year-old and 80 years old is there's a lot of years in between 8 and 80. Would you agree? There's just a lot of years in between there. And do you ever notice how many people go through life without a plan? They go through life without a plan. They just don't have a plan. Here is the truth. If, you got, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to follow along with me this morning. Everyone ends up somewhere, amen? Everyone ends up somewhere, but get this. Few people end up somewhere on purpose. Few people just end up somewhere actually on purpose. How many of you would like to be financially free, debt-free, so you can give generously. Anybody want to be? Yes, yes. Seems like a good goal, right? How many of you would, would love to uh, end up in great physical shape? You're not holding your back every morning when you wake up. I know, I feel it too. You know, we'd love to be energetic and, and be in good shape. How many people, if you're not married, would like to end up married in a thriving, strong, 
Christ-based relationship. Anybody? Anybody? There you go. Okay, we'll match people up later. Uh, But we want those things, right? But here's the thing. How many of you would like to end up close to God? Like really walking with God, like sensing his presence in every movement and in every day and in every moment. And you know you are living a Christ-honoring life, right? You, how many of you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Like I want to hear that. And here's the truth. You can have all those things. You can. You can have them all. But you won't end up there by accident. Not on any of them. You've got to have a plan. You won't stumble upon success. I want to point you to a Old Testament uh, verse in the book of Proverbs. Many of you have probably heard this verse before. But I want you to tune into it this morning. It says, where there is no what? Say it like you mean it. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now that word vision, the Hebrew word for vision in that is kazon. Say it with me. Kazon. Kazon. There you go. Well, some of you. Okay, good. Uh, it's not calzone. I know what some of you are thinking. Calzone is that delicious folded over pizza. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, it's like the original Hot Pocket. Okay. Uh, but that's not calzone. It's kazon. And what it means is it means vision. It's a dream, a revelation, or a vision. And, and where there is no vision, where there's no vision for a godly family, half of the marriages in America end in divorce. Where there is no vision for financial freedom, you can live in the richest country in the world at the richest time in history, and you can still be living paycheck to paycheck, you can be buried in credit card debt, and you can be stressed out about money all the time. Where there is no vision for a healthy body, you can literally live in a place, there are gyms on every corner of every street. Am I wrong about that? You see the gyms, they're available right now to you. They they would love to sign you up right now. You can have farm to table, fresh, healthy food available to you at any time. And yet if you don't have a vision for a healthy body, you can end up in pain, chronic illness, all kinds of stuff that goes along with that, unhealthy. Where there is no vision For a God-given ministry, something that he has for you to do, you can end up just stumbling through this life. And and you never make a lasting difference. And you never see the fruit. And you're always hoping for something better, but you're never really satisfied. So this morning, I want to ask you a penetrating question. Are you ready? Here's the question. I want you to consider this for just a second. If money were no object to you, If money were absolutely no object to you, what would you do for the rest of your life? If money was no object, what would you do with the rest of your life? Okay, turn around to somebody near you, somebody that looks friendly, and share the answer with that. Maybe somebody you came with, maybe somebody nearby that looks friendly, and just share your answer. Go ahead, go ahead, talk amongst yourselves. What would you do if money was no object? In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to rat out the people next to you. I want to know what they said. So, if money was no object, you never had to worry about money again, what would you do with the rest of your days? All right, who's got an answer? What would you do? Anybody? What's that? Stay in the struggle. What else? What would you do? What's that? Help the needy. You people are in church. Come on. What would you do? Yeah. 
Start a what? Start an orphanage. And you people are so much more spiritual than me. Retire, retire, absolutely. Nobody else has said the one. Can I just tell you, I'm embarrassed to share my answer to that. I'm, I'm embarrassed to share some of the things that come to my mind when I think about that, right? If, if I'm troubled by my own answer to that, if somebody dropped millions of dollars on me tomorrow and I never had to worry about money again, what would I do? Like, like many of you, I have, what was that? I'd go to the movies? That's what I would do. Yeah, so my answer to that is I would love, I like, I want, I'm selfish. I have all those things. I want a sailboat. I don't want an average sailboat. I want a 42 to 50 foot catamaran sailing boat that could do live aboard on it. I would, this has been my dream. My wife's nodding because she knows it's true. I have wanted to live on a sailboat. I want to sail down the coast of California. I want to go around into Baja, go down in through Central America, go through the Panama Canal, up into the Gulf of Mexico, through the Caribbean, and then I would love to hit Florida and all of the East Coast on the way back up to the fall colors in that. I would love to do that. That is my dream. My wife's dream, Nicole's dream, is to own a horse. And Nicole already has her dream. She owns a horse. And so in order for me to get my dream, we've got to train a horse to live on a boat. And I don't know how that's going to work, but we're, we're, we're working on it. But, but let me tell you how crazy that it really is. Sailing is really my dream. And your response to that may be, really? Like get a boat and travel? That's what you would do, Steve? I mean, think about that. Do I really believe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that he might live and die and suffer and and be risen from the dead so that I can go sailing? So that I could live a perpetual vacation? Does that sound like the answer for my life, because that's a sad answer, don't you think? It's sad. Here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Do you want to live a self-centered, consumeristic dream for your life? Or do we want to step into our God-given purpose? The things that he's calling us to do. This morning I want to talk about four phases of Kazon. And the four phases of Kazon, as we look at that vision for our life, if you look at the greats in the Bible, all of them, Moses, David, Esther, Paul, Nehemiah, all of them, uh, over and over again, you'll see these people who had a vision that came from God, and they experienced all four of these phases on their way to Kazon. And this was God's reason for their existence, and you'll see these four phases in their story. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20. I want to give you a little context to Acts chapter 20 so that you understand it. It's Paul who has been ministering in a place called Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he had planted this church, he had started this church, he loved these people, he loved the ministry there, but God was starting to stir in him something new, and and God was preparing him for a change, basically, something bigger, something new, and uh, something different. And with great sorrow, he calls together the leaders of this church, and he says, "Uh, guys, we need to meet, and he begins to tell them that God is calling him to something new and he's got to do something different and for many of you you may have experienced this where God's prompted in your heart oh man it's time for a change God's 
he's prompted me to do something new, something different, maybe something better, but you have to say goodbye to what you were doing and what God was already working in in order to move into that. You have to sort of leave your comfort zone in order to go and do what God is calling you to do. And so I want you to see that as we look at Acts chapter 20 this morning, you've got the the text there in your notes, and we're going to pull apart this passage a little bit. But in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, it says, and now I am what? Bound. By who? By the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that who? The Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by who? The Lord Jesus. The work of telling others what? The good news about the wonderful grace of God. And so I want you to see these four movements in this passage and and we'll see how it relates to, to us. The first is this. It's the Spirit's prompting. The Spirit's prompting. If you look at that text, it says, and now I am what? Bound by the Spirit. I'm bound by the Spirit. Uh, Another translation says, I am compelled by the Spirit. In other words, this is not my idea. I didn't come up with this. This is the Holy Spirit's idea. He's calling the shots. He's prompting things. How many people remember the mall? Anybody been to the mall recently? The mall is, we don't go to the mall anymore. Thank God, somebody who goes to the mall we, we went to the mall. We used to shop at the mall. Arden Fair Mall up in Sacramento was the mall I used to go to a lot when I lived in Elk Grove. How many people? Sears? Anybody remember Sears? Remember when we used to have Sears? In the Arden Fair Mall on the far side is Sears. And as you come out of Sears, as you immediately walk out of Sears on the upper level, it immediately hits you. You have an opportunity. You can go to the right or to the left on the upper level. And as you come out of Sears, immediately this feeling overwhelms you. It begins to assault your senses. And as you're walking out, you're thinking to yourself, what is that? I smell something. It's warm. It's sugary. It's dough. It's goodness. There's some butter. I smell it. And you immediately begin to move to the right and you go on the right side of the mile because what's waiting right there for you? Cinnabon, right? You all still remember it. You know what I'm talking about? We are compelled by the spirit of Cinnabon. And immediately you're walking to the thing and you're like, I know I shouldn't do this, right? And then you pull out your debit card and immediately by magic, you have Cinnabon in your hands. I don't know how that happens, but it's like that idea of you're compelled by something, right? It draws you in. You're compelled by the spirit of it. And many of you have had this compelled by the spirit moment. You felt the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, compel you. You get wrapped up in it and you, you see something and you think to yourself, that's not right. That's wrong. Like somebody should do something about that. I know somebody should do something about it. And you're like, I, I just know it's not right in our world and somebody ought to. And then immediately the Spirit begins to stir in you and you're like, oh crud, it's me. I'm supposed to do something about this. I'm the one who's supposed to jump into this. And, and you're compelled by the Spirit to do something about that. When I, uh, when I went to my last church at, in uh, Elk Grove, I was a lead pastor there for 16 years, and I had served here as a youth pastor for about six or seven years, and then I spent a year wandering in the wilderness where God confirmed I was supposed to be in full-time ministry for the rest of my days, and I was like, okay, God, I get it, I understand that. But we were interviewing at the time, and so I had, uh, I had 
sent to interview. I had sent applications out to Texas and, and uh, Pennsylvania and, and some other places. Anyway, I had an interview down at a church down in Southern California. And so I was down in Southern California at this interview with this church. Massive church, really big church, probably 4,000 people or something like that in this church. And, uh, and we were down there interviewing for a youth pastor position. Now at the time, uh, I walked into this church. It was the dream youth pastor job. It was, there was probably 700 kids in this youth ministry. It sounds like a nightmare though too doesn't it Roman yeah I know there were 700 kids in this youth ministry and they said Steve we want you to come and be the lead youth pastor at this church and I was like really and they were like yeah we're going to give you a full-time high school pastor a full-time junior high pastor and a full-time youth worship guy and you will oversee the entire department now if if you're in the ministry, this is probably the top half of 1% of the best ministry jobs in the country, okay? And I'm in this interview, and I'm talking to the people about this, and it all sounds great, big church, lots of prestige, awesome facility, all that other kind of stuff. And my wife and I are down there, and we're processing this, and we're praying about it, and at the time, they'd asked me to fill in and preach just four sermons for this little church in Elk Grove that was probably going to close because their pastor had left and there was like 22 people left and they were in the cafeteria of an elementary school. And I said, sure, I'll go do that. And as we were interviewing for this dream job, I looked at my wife as we were praying and she'll tell you God's honest truth. We looked at each other. I said, this is the stupidest thing ever. We're not supposed to take this job, are we? And she said, no. And I said, we're supposed to go take those 22 people in the cafeteria in Elk Grove, aren't we? And she said, yeah, we are. And we sensed very clearly the spirit's prompting of where we were supposed to go and end up spending the next 16 years of our life. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've had the spirit prompt something in your heart and in your mind, and you're like, I, I, it doesn't make any sense, but I know it's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you since that moment where you're like, oh yeah, this is what he's calling me to do. I was made for this. I'm made for this. I'm supposed to do this. I have to go. Even if it means leaving my comfort zone, I have to go. And the Spirit is pulling you in that direction. So the Spirit's prompting is the first thing. But the moment you go past the Spirit's prompting, you're going to enter into something I call certain uncertainty. Certain uncertainty. This is where you go, okay God, I've heard you. Now what? Anybody ever had that moment where you're like, now what am I supposed to do? Like, I, I have no idea what to do next. And in Acts 20, it says this. It says, I don't know what awaits me. That's what Paul says. I, don't, I, don't, I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. But I don't know what awaits me there. I'm supposed to go, and that's all I know. I have no idea what's going to happen next. And at some point, some of you are going to have this experience in your life where you, you sense God leading, but you're like, I'm not sure what to do next. You're like, we've been praying and I've been thinking about it and I know I am supposed to marry this person. But you're like, but God, what if she turns out to be a psycho chick, you know? What, what do I do? Or, or you're like, I know I'm supposed to marry him, God, but he could be a deadbeat Xbox dude if, if, I don't, if I'm not careful. So you just want, give me some steps here, God, to make sure I want to know. I want to know that I know, that I know for sure, okay? Like, give me, give me a plan for this, right? Some of you, maybe God's calling you to quit a secure job. You're like, I can't believe that God's calling me to quit this job and start a, a new business, right? And I just, I want some, I need a guarantee. I need some, I mean, I'm leaving health insurance and, and the retirement is good. And I need some details, God. You got to give me some details. Some of you are like, man, I, I, I know this is a need and I need to start this ministry and I want to start it, but I don't have any resources. I don't have any experience. I don't know what to do at all, God. Just give me, give me some details and give me a plan. And God will often say, man, I'm not going to give you any details. I'm not going to give you the steps. 
Because honestly, if I gave you the steps, you'd probably say no. You wouldn't do it. If you knew how hard it was going to be at the beginning, you probably won't get into it. So I can't give you the details on this. You can't handle the details. If you knew all the details, you would run the other way. And in that moment, with certain uncertainty, what you have to have is faith. You need faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this. And it is what? Say it like you mean it. It is impossible to please God without what? Faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Use the power. I'm going to call this the power of the next step. Use the power of the next step. God's given you this big vision. He's called you to something. You know it unequivocally. Spirit has prompted you. And yet you're certainly uncertain about what to do next. How do I get there? Take the next step. The only step you can take, the only step you can take in any journey is the next step. It's the only one you can take. And so I want you to see that. I want you to hear right in the outline this. I will do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. I know that's a, maybe a mind bender or long, but I will do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. God's given you this vision, this idea, this spirit compelled vision, but you don't know what to do. You just take the next step. Over the last few years, uh, my wife and I have become quite the DIYers at our house. We, uh, we, when my wife buys old houses. She forces me to buy old. How many people live in an old house? Raise your hand here. What do we know about old houses? They're cold. They break every 15 minutes, right? And immediately when we move into an old house, my wife goes, she walks in and she goes, I don't like that wall and I don't want it that way. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We've done it like three times now, so we're kind of getting into it. Uh, I think it's because we watch too much HGTV. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else here? Yeah, watch too much HGTV. I think my wife thinks I'm Chip Gaines. Anybody know who Chip Gaines is? Yeah, I'm Chip Gaines because I'm a goofy like Chip Gaines, but I got no contracting skills at all like Chip Gaines. So I'm just making my, make it up as we go. Here's what I do understand that I've been learning along the way. If you have a vision for what you're going to do to your house, the only thing you can do is the next thing. And so if you're like, man, we want to remodel this and, and make a new kitchen and take out a wall, the first thing you do is you're like, I guess we should draw some plans. And you get the plans drawn. And then you think, well, we better make a budget. And so you make a budget and you got the plans drawn. And then you think, well, what can we do next? I guess we got to go get permits. And we go get the permits at the city. And then we got the permits. It's like, okay, great. Let's get out the sledgehammers. And the next step is just to start wailing away at walls, which my kids know all too well because I force them to do it every single time that we do it. Those are some female contractors in the making over there. I'm telling you right now. Uh, so they, you know, we're well on the walls. And then, and then I call in somebody and we frame up the walls that are the way they're supposed to be. And then, and then we go and we call the plumber and we say, we need to move plumbing from here to here. How much is that going to cost? And he says, this much. And then we redo the budget. How many people know you have to redo the budget? Like five times during a remodel project. Call the electrician, redo the budget, redo the budget. And you, you just take step after step after step until finally you're like, oh my gosh. It looks like a kitchen. Like, like that wall is gone. It, it's unbelievable. All you can do is take the next step. And step by step by step, you move towards the vision. And some of you have had this vision for your life, but you just never took the first step. Like as I'm talking right now, you're like, oh, I know what he's talking about. I know what God was prompting me to do. But I just, I just didn't know how to take that first step. Listen, you won't be able to take step five until you take step one. 
And you can't take step two until you've taken step one. You can't take step three until you've taken step one. And you have to take them just one at a time, knowing that there's some uncertainty about it. You take the step anyway. I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know exactly what to do next, but I know I can take this next step. And so I'm going to do today what I but can enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. But when you start that process, as soon as you start taking steps, I promise you, I promise you, you will encounter predictable resistance. You'll see predictable resistance in your, in your journey. It happens every time, every time. As you step out in faith, you take that first step and you put it on your calendar. And the moment you do, you have a spiritual enemy who wants to derail what you're up to for God. He wants to take it out of your hands. He wants to destroy uh, your movement. He wants to prevent you from fulfilling your kazon. And so the interesting thing is, is it says, Acts 20, 23, it says this, "Except, except that the Holy Spirit tells me that in city after city, that blessings and prosperity lie ahead. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says jail and what else? Jail and suffering lies ahead. Does he know what he's saying? Let me tell you the truth. We have a spiritual enemy that is going to try and stop you from doing what you were created to do. It happens in every great Bible story. Every great Bible story. Moses says, I am going to set my people free. I've got a message from God. He talked to me in a burning bus. I'm going to set my my people free. And Pharaoh said, oh, no, you're not. Pharaoh says, watch this. I'm going to do everything I can. I will throw everything at you to stop you from fulfilling your purpose. I am in your face, Moses. Joseph says, I'm going to, God gave me this vision. I'm going to be a great leader. And, And his brothers say, no, you're not, you little punk. By the way, nice jacket. Can we have it? And then they throw him in a pit and they sell him off into slavery, right? There's going to be this resistance the moment you step into your vision. Nehemiah is a story from uh, the Old Testament where Nehemiah sees the walls of of, uh, Jerusalem are broken down and he has this burden from God. I need to go and rebuild the walls. And the moment he goes there to do it, there's these two guys, Sambalat and Tobiah. They're like, no, you're not. This is impossible. You'll never get it done. We're not going to let you get it done. We're going to stand in the way. It's predictable resistance and it happens every time. Every single time God puts a vision in your, in your heart. You, you, when you hear from God and you're ready to take that step, I guarantee you all hell is going to break loose. And there will be resistance. You can count on it. You want to get financially free? You're like, God, I'm tired of this. I want to get financially free. I want to be out of debt so that I can live with peace and help others and give generously. The moment you make that decision and you write up a new budget, I guarantee you something expensive will break at your house. The moment you do, it'll be an appliance that goes out. Your washing machine will break down. The transmission goes out in the car and you're like, come on, right? Um, The moment you say, I am going to get this body in shape, God. It's a temple and I want to be able to use it. I want to have energy to do your your mission and your your ministry that you have assigned for me. And you go to the grocery store and you are going to buy carrots and fruit. And when you get there on the end cap, Little Debbie snacks are all 75% off. You know what I'm talking about? There's going to be resistance. It happens in every single thing. You say, I'm going to fix my marriage. My marriage is broken. I'm going to do something about it today. That night, your mother-in-law will come to stay with you, okay? Um, it's, it's that kind of resistance that comes in. I'm just joking about that. But you have to press through that. 
You gotta press through the resistance. You gotta say, I'm gonna take this step even though I know there's resistance waiting for me on the other side. And even if there's predictable resistance, I'm gonna do it. And when you do that, and you decide it doesn't matter what the resistance is, I'm gonna do it anyway, you'll get to a place of uncommon clarity. Uncommon clarity. And I want you to hear the power in Paul's statement as he says it in that next verse there. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, you can kill me. You can take everything from me. Nothing else matters. This is why I exist. I'm already headed to my somewhere on purpose. I'm already headed to my kazone. I know what my vision is supposed to be. And if this is the only thing I do, if this is the only thing I finish, it's what I needed to do. And when you have this clarity that is like, this is what I was created to do, then you can endure the pain. You can overcome the temptation. You can wake up every day and say, I know I'm supposed to do this today. And I'm supposed to, with this divine drive to keep moving forward, you know why you're here. You know you're not an accident. And you know that you were put here by God to do something. I am created by God to do what? You are made for this. What is your this which leads me to so what you know quite a few years ago I stepped into what God was calling me to be and I believe God has called me to through the local church serve the local church shepherd proclaim the gospel all the stuff that God has been doing in me in the last 25 years And as some of you are sitting there today and you're thinking, Steve, this is about some big giant vision for the rest of my life and I just don't know and I'm not sure. Maybe you're in your 20s and you're thinking to yourself, it's just so overwhelming, I don't know what to do. Maybe you're about to retire and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what to do next and it seems so overwhelming. Can I just tell you something? This happens every day on a daily basis this morning. As I got up this morning, I got up and uh, I walk every morning about three or four miles before I start my day. And I got up this morning and I had walked about three miles. And as I turned back down onto my street to head home, which, by the way, I needed to get to church because I had to preach. uh, I, I turned the corner and sitting in the gutter on the other side of the street was a man sobbing. He was in his pajamas. And it was freezing this morning, people. Was anybody else out this morning? It was cold. I was wearing gloves and my fingers were like completely numb. And this man is sobbing in pajamas and a t-shirt on the street. And I thought, if you've never heard the spirit prompting, that's the spirit prompting. He says, you got to go over there. And I'm like, God, I don't know what to say. And I walked over to this man. Of course, when I got near him, he shook. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, you don't need to be sorry. I just, what's going on? Are you okay? What happened? He began to choke through the tears, some of his stories, obviously dealing with some mental health stuff, but he was just broken and hopeless and didn't know what he was going to do. And can I just tell you something? There was certain uncertainty. I didn't know where this was going to go this morning. And there was going to be predictable resistance. I didn't know. You want me to, can I call someone for you? No, don't call anyone. Do you need medical help? No, please don't call the police. It's like, okay. Like what? Tell me your story. Let me help you ever been in that moment where you don't, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how this is going to end. But I know I'm here and I'm supposed to be here. I ended up 
helping him up and eventually listening to a story just enough for him to kind of get out what was going on. I found out he lived down the street and I, I said, can I walk you home? I don't want you to be out here in the cold. You gotta be freezing. I gotta get you home. He's telling me what happened at home. He'd had a fight with somebody and I'm, I'm helping him home. And we got to his house and I said, man, do you believe in God? And he said, yeah, I believe in God. And I said, can I just pray for you? And he said, yeah. And he let me pray for him. And as I watched him kind of just wobble up towards his house, I thought, I have no idea how this story will end. But I know the spirit was prompting. And despite certain uncertainty, I decided to get into the game and take the next step. And I don't know what God's going to do with it. And I don't know what he did with what I did. It doesn't matter really. At the end of the day, it's about stepping into my God-given vision in that moment. And I want to encourage you to do that. In the story of Nehemiah, there's this great moment in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah came to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And, and uh, he, he wants the walls are down in Jerusalem. He had this great burden. He, he, we don't know anything about Nehemiah before. And we hardly know anything about him after. It was just kind of this moment in his life that we see him step into his God-given vision and purpose. And he, he's going to Jerusalem. He's rebuilding the walls. And the walls are down. He says, something's got to do something about this. He cries. He prays. He fasts. And he says, and God says, man, if, if it's your burden, then it's your assignment. How many people know that? When you have the burden, it's your assignment. That's really true about these things. And so he walks into the certain uncertainty. He says, what should I do? Well, I guess I've got to go to Jerusalem if this matters to me. Predictable resistance. There's these two guys, Sambalat and Tobiah. And they are like in his face trying to stop him to do it. Everybody says you can't do it. You can't do it. Who are you? You're not even a local. You don't know anything. You don't have a contractor's license. All you do is watch HGTV. You don't know anything. Like how am I supposed to? You can't do it. And they send this messenger to Nehemiah. And I love this. They send this messenger to him. And he says, hey, come down from the wall He's working on the wall. Let's have a meeting. And I want you to listen to the uncommon clarity that he has. So I replied by sending this message to them. This is Nehemiah answering them. I am engaged in what? A great work. So I, I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? What I'm doing, God has called me to do. God created me to do it. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. You can't tempt me with some better offer. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You can't offer me a better job. I don't care about what you're paying. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You can't provide me more comfort. I'm not living for comfort. I'm living for God's calling. Uh, We'll want to make you famous and powerful. You can't make me famous and powerful. I'm not living for fame and power. I live for an audience of one. I know why I was created. It was to rebuild this wall. And my life is nothing to me if I just could complete this wall. I know my kazon. What about you? And for some of you, you know, like right now, God has given you a vision and he's calling you to heal your marriage. Your marriage is broken. And you, that's the vision. You've got to heal it. And that's the only way you're going to raise the next generation up to know Jesus and to follow him. For some of you, it's like, I'm just trying, God, to get this business off the ground. And it's not because I need this business to succeed for me. It's because it's going to make it possible for me to build orphanages somewhere in the world. Or it's going to make it possible for me to drill wells in third world countries that need something, that need clean water. 
Some of you are like, God, I just have a burden for this younger generation that's struggling so hard with mental health right now. And our church is feeling this vision. We are jumping into this vision with this this year. Like we want to do something for these kids that have had their mental health stripped away from them. And so I'm going to lean into that, God. And I don't know, we're going to take a step and we're going to rebudget and fix it and do whatever. But at the end of the day, I know you're calling me to this. The question is, what is God calling you to? What is your this? You were made for this. What is it for you? So let me ask you a penetrating question. If money were no object to you for the rest of your life, what would you do with the rest of your life? What God-given kazone would you step into I want to share with you this last uh, prayer, really, by Sir Francis Drake. And it's just something that's messed with me. And whenever something messes with me, I know it's probably God messing with me. And it says this. This is what Sir Francis Drake prayed. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we sailed. It's a little shot at me personally sailed too close to the shore. My prayer today is for you is that God is revealing his kazon in your life and that you will step into it with vision and purpose and focus and clarity. Would you just bow your heads with me? God, I know somebody today is hearing this and and knows that you are prompting, your spirit is prompting their heart for something. That you have called them to a ministry. That you have given them a focus. Or, or some people who are hurting that they are supposed to serve and, and, and move, step into. God, Father, I pray for those who already know what that vision is. That they would be willing to take the next step. Whatever that step is, God, that you would move in their hearts to take. Maybe it's the first step. But maybe it's the next step towards that vision that you have prompted in their heart, God. I pray that you would move. And for those who right now are lacking that vision, God. That is not a crime to not know. That vision. Nehemiah didn't know it all the way up until one day they said the walls in Jerusalem are down. God, I pray that you would reveal to us your vision. If it's a big vision, let it be revealed and let us fearlessly take steps towards it. But God, sometimes it's just a little vision. It's a, it's a man crying on the street and I know I'm supposed to walk up to him. God, help us to hear your voice and step into a vision for our lives that gives us purpose and clarity. And despite the suffering and the hardship, we will move people towards you. God, we pray this in the name of your son, the only name with power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.